0: All right, good afternoon, everyone. And uh, in just a moment, we're going to take a look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And look at the next section in verses uh, 13 through 16. But uh, there's a few folks I work with that uh, have a saying um, that they'll hear once in a while, usually when they're You know, frustrated about something, they're like, you know, they they start to kind of flex their their you know, flex their perceived strength, right? And say, you know, you can say anything you want at this place on your last day. (laughs) So as you may have already figured out, this is this may be my last day. (laughs) So here it comes. (laughs) Before I take a look which is kind of hard for me to say after the prayer we just heard, right? And and the song we just sang together. Uh, but I do want to read a few words before we look at 1 Thessalonians uh, to to let you know how Meredith and I, uh, she's traveling back. She wasn't able to be uh, with me here today. How Meredith and I have been praying for you guys and how we've been uh, thinking through how you know we can encourage uh, the believers here as best as we can. And uh, so I've been thankful for the conversations I've been able to have with uh, Garrett, as well as with Jim and a few of the other folks here in the church family. So very thankful for, for that. And obviously, as you, you know, make some steps toward establishing the leadership in the church family here, you know, even as we, as we heard, as everyone recognizes, a young church family here. If we could get the gain down just a smidge, that's perfect. Uh, that would be great because I already have enough ringing in my ears and now to have that ringing was a, was a bit much. Uh, thank you. So uh, I, I want to encourage you uh, from, a, from a text in Scripture as the leadership continues to do their best to be faithful to the Word of God and to lead and, and, and love and to guide as best as they can. It's a news flash, but even Garrett is a sinner, right? Even he is not perfect, right? The elders are not. We are all sinners who repent. Right? We are believers who help one another by speaking the truth to one another. And we seek to encourage one another. And and mistakes are gonna happen, right? Uh, you know, it's, it's 154, and I almost made a big mistake coming face forward right here. How's that? Uh, I mean, mistakes are going to happen all throughout, throughout the journey, throughout your own spiritual journey, throughout the journey of the life of the church. And I want to encourage you to keep a few texts in mind, particularly from Ephesians chapter 4. So just listen as I read from uh, Ephesians 4, starting in verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that may give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, for whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. One of the things that's so powerful about this text is it tells you what you should not do and what you should do. And I really want to focus on what we should be doing. And the main thing that we should be doing is summed up in two very simple words in verse 32, and that is to be kind. Be kind. Because when you are kind with one another... Even when someone makes a mistake, even when your preferences aren't held to, even when there are things that you can see to, even there's things that change, even when things don't go the way you hope that they would, or the way that you want them to, or when things go exactly the way that you hope they would, and you start to see great things. It's easy for us one way or another to say, oh, see, I told you this was going to go badly, or see, I told you so, we had it right the whole time, right? You can be on both sides of that coin in how you communicate communicate with one another and that's neither here nor there the whole reason we're able to be here is because of verse 32 because we have been forgiven in christ nothing more nothing less not because of you because of me but because of christ And when the focus of our attention becomes on Christ instead of me or my circumstances or what my hopes and dreams are, that's when our identity becomes secure, we become confident, we continue to live gracefully because we are demonstrating the gospel and how we communicate with one another. Be kind to one another. Put away all this other trash talk. Put away all this other gossip. Put away these things that do not benefit the gospel of Christ. And you will be amazed when you see the things that God, has, that, that God will do and that God can do by us demonstrating and living the gospel of Christ. That sermon was free of charge. That wasn't even included in today's in today's notes, this is just from my own heart, having had some conversations and certainly being in prayer. And, uh, you know, Garrett, like I've told you in phone calls and Jim and others I've spoken with, I am, I am here to, to help serve and encourage any way that I can. If that means praying from Allen, from, uh, Allen Park or from Southgate or from wherever, great. We'll be excited to see what God does. If there's opportunity to, to be able to be an encouragement, Happy to do that as well. And so thank you for ministering to me and my family. We have been blessed by being uh, able to be here, to be a part of the worship time, to be a part of the singing, and to be a part of the energy and excitement that you guys bring to the table for the cause of Christ. This small outpost of the kingdom of God that is establishing and has been established here is exciting to see what God's going to do. And certainly uh, in the weeks ahead, as, as, uh, as uh, Garrett makes his uh, transition into things, it's going to be exciting to see the way God continues to work right here in Belleville. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 Whew, man, I thought a trap door was going to open there for a minute, but I guess not. I guess we're okay to keep on, uh, keep on cruising. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And in just a moment, I'm going to read verses 13 through 16. So let me ask this question, though, to start this afternoon, to start on, 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 uh, on this sermon uh, this afternoon. Have you ever received information that totally changed your perspective on something? You received some information that totally changed you. Uh, my, my parents now live in the resort town that we grew up going to as kids in Ocean City, New Jersey. And I can remember going there with my, my grandfather and grandmother and uh, a bunch of my, a few of my cousins. And then, uh, you know, my brothers and I, we would go and uh, terrorize the, the island uh, there for uh, a little bit each summer. And uh, certainly enjoyed, enjoyed all that time that we would spend down there in the summer. Uh, But there was a few occasions, there was a few occasions where we would go to the beach and we were clearly instructed not to go into the water. You can only, you know, throw sand at each other so long. You eventually want to go, you know, boogie boarding or whatever into the ocean. And we could not go into the ocean because we found out that the bacteria levels were entirely too high. And I thought is isn't all water that people swim in black, but apparently it's not, you know? Uh, That's not the way it normally works. Uh, So that particular summer, when I had gotten that information, it was very frustrating, and of course, we did not want to go into the water because we did not want to get sick. Now, here's the thing that's ironic is how on one day the bacteria levels were too high, and then the next day it was okay, I found to be disturbing, right? Like, really, the bacteria levels change that much that you only die a slightly slower death? Like, what does that even mean, right? There was other information I received that I was shocked when I was very young, maybe seven, eight years old, something like that, when I was amazed by jellyfish that I would see that would come up and wash up onto the shore, they were clear, and they looked like, wait for it, jelly. But then I found out that there were some jellyfish that could sting you. And I was like, wait a minute, you mean it could sting me? Like, well, yeah, but but, but not all of them, just some. Some of them, now I don't even, I can't even see them in the water. Now you're telling me I'm going to get stung? I remember just, you know, mind-blowing. Like, why am I supposed to ever... Go back. And then, of course, when you go into the water and with brothers, you know, they're torturing, we're torturing each other. It's like, watch out for that child if it's going to get you, you know, and it's all this kind of nonsense, right? You'd feel the slightest bit of seaweed and suddenly became, you know, an eight an year old boy sounded like a five year old girl. Ah! You know, you're screaming and the whole night, it just. New information that certainly changed your perspective, my perspective on how I'd behave, on how I lived. That inf- information changed me, and I believed it. Now, the thing is, I had never really felt a jellyfish ever. Still haven't felt a jellyfish like on my leg or when I was swimming. Never felt a sting. But I'm absolutely positive it can sting me. Because I see the red marks on people when they get stung, and I hear their pleas for help. You know, it's not that big of a deal, right? But you can get stung. And so I was thankful for the information that I had received because it impacted the way that I lived, of course, and the choices that I made. This afternoon, as we take a look at First Thessalonians chapter 2, we are going to see how believers are thankful for the word of God because of what he has given us through his word. Really, the foundation of why we do what we do should not be rooted in anything other than the clear biblical principles that are laid out for us in the scriptures. So, how many of us thank God really for what he has given us through his word? How has it changed our lives? I mean, it tells us about God, of course, that we can know him, it tells us about the grace that we have received, how we can bring, excuse me, glory to his name how to deal with adversity and suffering, right? How to be godly and how to honor him. Over the last few weeks, we, as we have been talking about the genuine gospel, we've been talking about the grace that has been received, or the glory that it brings to his name. We've been talking about the fact that when we have the true gospel of God, it's done not for the benefit of the preacher or for an organization, but ultimately to give God glory. And of course, we understand it as to be making and maturing disciples who together are becoming more and more like Christ. That's when we know we have it. So disciples thank God for his word. Last week, we saw how... Disciples graciously communicate the genuine gospel of God. They're thankful for all these evidences of grace. And now this afternoon, we'll see how disciples thank God for his word. And I want us to answer this question. Why? Why do disciples thank God for his word? Please follow along as I read 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse... Thirteen, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work. And you believers for you, brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea for you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out <clears throat> and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always, to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. Disciples, thank God For his word. The first thing I want us to see is that the word of God changes disciples when they receive it. The word of God changes disciples when they receive it. Look at verse 13. We thank God constantly for this that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accept it not as the word of men, but what it really is the word of God, which is a work in you, believers. There was a work, really of the word of God and the communication of it. They accepted it as from God. When God's word is presented, when God's word is preached, you should not be hearing Dan's voice. You should be hearing the voice of God. And when you hear things coming from the pulpit... When you hear things coming from the person who is preaching and teaching, if it is not clearly connected to the word of God, then there's a problem. So when these people at Thessalonica heard heard the communication of truth, they didn't think it was the word of Paul. They accepted it as the word of God obviously today we have the very word of god in front of us so the things that you are hearing and the things that you are being encouraged to do the way that you're being exhorted the way that you're being admonished if it is not clearly connected to the scriptures then you know you have a false gospel you do not have the very words of god So there was a work of the word of God in the communication of it. They accepted it as from God. So how and to whom should the word of God be communicated? Well, we saw this earlier, and we've heard this from other texts. The scriptures are clear that the communication of the truth of God's word was communicated first to the Jew and then to the Greek. Or we might say to, wait for it, everyone. Now, there was a priority, obviously, that the apostle Paul took in his ministry. I don't think that is normative or what we might say regulated for today. I don't think that is something that we have to follow or we're being disobedient. What is clear from the scriptures is that the word of God is not intended for a specific group of people or an audience. It is intended for everyone. And without the communication of the word of God, we don't have evangelism taking place. Listen to Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But, what do you mean, but? That's the next word in the verse here, verse 14. But how are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe on him of whom they have never heard? And how will they hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent as is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, but they have not all obeyed the gospel for Isaiah. in chapter 53 of Isaiah says, Lord, who's believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So there is a necessary mandate upon all believers to communicate the word of God to everyone at all times. There is a necessary aspect of hearing the word of God and communicating to it so that people will hear it. They did not simply hear it, though. They accepted it as personally from God. There are many messages that we hear, right? A lot of things that we hear. We can hear all kinds of spiritual, excuse me, spiritual things. We might hear all kinds of things at work. We might hear things from Different people where we hear what they're saying, we understand what they're saying, but we may not actually believe or accept what they're saying, right? You may actually hear something and believe it, but still refuse to accept it. There are people who state at the beginning of every NFL football season, this is the year for the Lions. They say it convincingly. They even present arguments. No, you don't understand. See, if you look at the last season, the last nine games, they won. And then when they go, and I just stopped listening at that point, because I'm like, dude, it's the Lions. I've lived here long enough I can say that. That's okay. So they say it. I hear it. I believe it. But you know what? I, no one's really going to accept it. Watch this be the year I'm proven wrong, right? And that's okay. That's okay. There are things we might hear or see, and we might believe it. We might say, okay, yeah, that's good, or that's good for you, but you don't accept it as truth for yourself. So hearing it and appropriating it for oneself are two very different things. And here the Apostle Paul is praising the believers of Thessalonica for their spiritual wisdom. They recognized and accepted the gospel as the word of God, and they accepted it as word from God. They recognized this was not the wisdom of mankind, but rather truth. Let me ask you a question. When you go to present the gospel of God, do you do so with great confidence? Do you do so with graciousness? Do you believe that the Word of God in and of itself is powerful enough to accomplish its goal? Because when these people heard the Word of God, they accepted it as from God. but sometimes we may get frustrated in that. Perhaps there's someone you've been sharing with the gospel with for many, many years. I have friends that I've shared the gospel with for pretty close, I can go on I'm pretty close now, I can say decades many, many, many years who understand it, they can communicate it, they can answer questions about the gospel to other friends of ours. And I want to tell you, there's times where you become tempted, where you want to try and manipulate the situation or manipulate the circumstances, try and guilt them into something. Friends, we cannot do that Because it is in that moment that people will begin to recognize that this is man's wisdom, not the wisdom of God. Because when you see God, as we just sang, who is sovereign over us, who does a work in our hearts, that is when we can sing of God's amazing grace. And please, can we let it be that? Amazing? Let's not try and make it something that's man-centered. Let's allow it to be God's amazing grace. So the word of God changes disciples when they receive it. It is the word of God which is at work in you believers. There was a work of God in the power of it, not just the communication of it. They accepted it as the word of God, but also in the power of it. Still in verse number 13, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. You see this power there. This you believers here validates the gospel message. That is to say the ongoing faith of those who have accepted the word of God. This is a Present tense idea. It's something that has an ongoing or continual thing. This is someone who continues to believe. They are believers. There are many Alliance fans that are still clinging to 1991. That was the year of the playoffs. Today they have that same thing in their head. Why? Because they are believers. They believe that their team can still do it. We understand this on the absurd level. Sorry, Lions fans. We, absurd, we understand it on the absurd level. But when it comes to the spiritual level, why do we? Why do we doubt? Why do we struggle? Those who are believers, those who are continually believing, demonstrate that they are followers of God. They demonstrate that they are holding on to the truth of God's word. They accept it as a message from God, and they continually persevere in their faith. They continually believe it. They continually accept it. As in chapter 1 and verse 5, the power of God that is at work in the believers validates the gospel message and distinguishes this people of God. The word of God is at work in you who believe. This working here is talking about God's activity in the human realm. This work of God. God is at work in those who continually are believing. Let's not lose sight of the work of God as well as our responsibility. Listen to Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, listen to this, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? for it is god who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure the believers at thessalonica they accepted the message as the word of god they embraced it as this divine work that changed them from the inside out they were accepting it they believed it and it changed their lives because god was the one who was at work their conversion was from idolatry. The fruit of the spirit was now present in their lives. This initial acceptance of the gospel is an act of faith. There's no question. I have heard people pray that the eyes of faith would be opened. I think that's very appropriate. That the eyes of faith and trusting in the message of, of the truth of God's word, that our eyes would be open to respond in faith and repentance. And now, in the midst of their difficulty and in the midst of their persecution, the believers at Thessalonica continued in their Faith. This is what it means to live by the gospel. This is what it means to persevere in the faith. We pray for our own children that they would continue in their faith. That they would keep believing. One of the most sobering conversations I've had with one of my children recently is when a friend of theirs recently decided that he really didn't believe the gospel anymore. And it rocked his world how could I not have seen this how could I not have understood that this was going to happen and it actually strengthened his own faith but yet I found myself still praying and hoping that the spirit would continue to work and our kids would respond with faith and repentance And the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to break down into our hearts. There is an ongoing belief that's going to continue to happen. And we pray that believers would continue to believe. This is this ongoing work of God for believers to work out their salvation. There's an ongoing activity of the life of faith. You don't accept Jesus and then figure out your own life on your own. You don't pray a prayer as a ticket out of hell and then just use the church as another social networking outlet. Right? This is not just an opportunity to be able to connect with some people who make you feel good or you can engage in some community service. When disciples demonstrate and live the word of God and they accept it as the word of God, it becomes a life changing community. So that when people look at that, they say, Something is different that's happening there. What is this impact and the effect of the gospel? And that's exactly what's happening in Thessalonica. So the churches were like, Wait a minute, something's going on there that we need to replicate. They became a testimony to others. You live by the word of God. You validate what you do from biblical principles. You hear him. You accept him. You don't accept the truth of some group of men. You accept the word of God. It is incumbent upon the leadership of any church to point people to the scriptures. For in this we find hope. Churches will fail you. People will fail you. Friends, I'm telling you, Christ will never fail you. When this message of hope is communicated... Besides difficulty that you may face, and we live in a sin-cursed world, let's not lose sight of that. We need the blessed hope of the word of God that is communicated and faithfully proclaimed so that we might know how to encourage one another so that we can let the world know that Christ is all in all. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not... I dare not think that there's something I can do in and of myself. But rather, trust in his name and trust in his word. The word of God strengthens disciples when they obey it. The word of God changes disciples when they receive it. Secondly, we see that the word of God strengthens disciples when they obey it. Let's look at verses 14 through 16. I got to hurry up here. That was just one verse. The word of God strengthens disciples when they obey it. Verses 14 through 16. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God and Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind. I'll just pause there for a moment. How do we know they obeyed it as imitators? Through their suffering. That's how we know that they obeyed it because they continue to obey through their suffering. It is easy to obey when the sun is shining, right? Right? It's easy to obey when things are going well. But when things are not so hot, and we wonder, where's God? What's up? What did I do wrong? We take on this whole approach of what it means to be a servant of Christ and to be a follower of Christ that there's something contingent upon me, but instead we need to recognize that believers. Through suffering, continue to obey. There is some evidence here, of course, that the word of God was being received and accepted. They endured the suffering. Paul taught the Thessalonians the theology of suffering, and they lived it. And this is in chapters 3 into chapter 4. Paul adds... That uh, what the church was enduring was a common experience of the churches in Judea as well. For you brothers became imitators of the churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. Their experience of suffering was no different than what other churches were experiencing. They, of course, became the paradigm for other congregation e- congregations, even in matters of suffering. God's churches are recognized throughout Acts, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, 2 Thessalonians, as well as in 1 Timothy. All of these churches that are in Christ Jesus, this is the kind of broad impact that they had because of how they received and obeyed the word of God. How did they imitate how did they imitate? You brothers became imitators of the churches of God. In what ways were they imitators? Well, the text answers that for us. They suffered from their own countrymen. That's cool, except not at all. Nothing like getting shot at by the guy next to you in the foxhole. That's not very helpful. In fact, it is probably one of the most depressing things you could deal with. One of the most difficult things you could deal with. What did they suffer? Well, the same countrymen were the ones who, you can see in verse 15 there, the countrymen were the ones who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets. Now, we understand that that Jesus died under Pontius Pilate. We understand he was the one who was the legal authority. But the Gospels and Acts show how the Jewish community really was responsible for the death of Christ. The religious authorities, the citizens, they were crying out for robbers to be released, not for Jesus. Jewish people had a long history of opposition to the messengers of God. They had killed prophets, first kings. Chapter 19: Nehemiah. Chapter nine in the New Testament, Matthew chapter twenty-three, Luke eleven, Acts seven, Romans eleven. There is a constant bad reception of the Jewish people to truth. Your fellow countrymen. The same thing is true of this church that was gathered here. They were facing opposition from the people who were present there, and man, that is not not easy to endure. They had uh, dealt with this suffering. That's how they were imitators. In some cases, back in the text there, it says, they drove us out. Literally means they were expelled. Paul and Silas, as you know, were persecuted and driven out of town. Says that they also displeased God. There was rebellion against God and his law, as seen by those who do not please God. They were dealing with these people, the text says, who also opposed all of mankind, or they were hostile to all men. Hostility of the Jews against others frequently appeared in all kinds of ancient authors. Quote, alone of all the nations, avoiding dealings with any other people and looked upon men, all men, as their enemies. That's really tough. In their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. There was really uh, all concerted effort here to prevent the spread of the gospel. Could have hurt the Jews politically. Could have hurt them financially. Could have hurt them for all kinds of reasons. Whatever those reasons are, they were hostile to the message of the gospel of God. And yet, this group of believers persevered through the suffering. They were expelled. They were prevented from trying to preach the gospel. Look at the end of verse 16. So, as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. Paul declares that the Jewish opposition to the preaching is the conclusion of a long history of sin. In this way, we might say, they also heap upon their sins... To the limit. The point is simply this. Throughout their history, they have resisted a divine initiative. This judgment is something, really, is an affirmation that everything has been said previously, as going back to the time of the prophets when they refused to hear. Into verse 16 speaks of the surety of judgment. Judgment will come upon them and upon the other nations when they fill up the measure of their sins. This really is a perspective from Matthew 23, where Jesus said, thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How will you escape being sentenced to hell? Wow, these are very straightforward words. I think what is key for us to understand is that judgment is not far behind these people who are trying to prevent the gospel from happening. What should we pick up from this? What should we learn from this? The fact of the matter is that when the gospel of God is preached and it is understood and accepted as being the message from God, not the message from man, that the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to radically change men and women and children's hearts so that when they become a part of the body of Christ, they will endure suffering because they didn't get there on the word of some charlatan. They didn't get there on the word of some trickster. It was the Spirit of God that changed their heart. So they press on and continue through suffering. Make no mistake, suffering stinks. I'm not trying to dismiss the difficulty and heartache and difficulty of of getting through suffering at all. What I'm saying is saints persevere. They continue to believe. Why? Because they have heard the very word of God, they have accepted as the word of God, and they continue to press on. Despite all the difficulty, despite all the suffering, despite all of these things... The power of the word of God to change lives is abundantly clear. I think what we should also recognize by way of application and thinking through this is that uh, there's going to be there's going to be suffering, right? There's going to be difficulty. There's a reason that Isaiah wrote of Christ as the suffering servant. This idea that coming to Jesus is going to make your life better is, is a farce when we understand it in terms of temporal things. Right? If I come to Jesus, then all my problems are going to go away. That's not at all what the Scriptures promise. What the Scriptures promise is life and hope for eternity. What the scriptures do promise is that there is a community of believers who will help you to continue to endure and continue to believe what there is assurance of, that in the midst of living in a sin-cursed world, there is hope. And that comes through Christ. And when you live that message of hope, and when you communicate that message of hope, it becomes magnetic. So that people see that there's something different. And when they see that, they're going to say, this is supra-human. This is beyond humanity because people don't act this way. They act selfishly. And when they see you acting lovingly, that is when they see Christ. This is why we're kind to one another. Because we have experienced forgiveness. We have experienced the truth of the word of God changing our lives. This is why we communicate the truth of God's word confidently. Disciples, believers, thank God for his word. Why do they thank God for his word? Well, because God's word changes disciples when they receive it. The word of God strengthens disciples when they obey it, even when faced with difficulty and hard times. When there is an obedience to the word of God because he has so changed our lives, there is a gratitude that is unmistakable. We share that message with others. Certainly, we have great hope. You know, even as we sang, It is well with my soul you imagine going through the the trial and the difficulty that Spafford went through with losing so much of his family in such a short period of time? What gives hope and what gives strength is the word of God. And we pray that God will give us the strength to endure, the graciousness to encourage one another, and that by by his strength, And by his power, we'll see God do amazing things at Redemption Bible Church. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word. It's something that we frequently say. God, I pray that it would be something that we would effectually live. God, I pray that you would help us to be an encouragement to one another. God, I pray that we would be an encouragement to one another by how we communicate the message of your word. I pray that you would help us to make sure that people see Christ in us, that it not become about ourselves, but that ultimately it is all about you. God, we thank you for the direction that you are giving this church family. I pray for Pastor Garrett as he... And the elders lead this assembly for your honor and your glory. God, I pray that you would give him tremendous love for your people. I pray that you would help the elders and everyone else who is serving alongside to be an encouragement to each other and to your people for your glory. God, let's not make this about ourselves. Help us to make this about you, that you would be lifted up, and that you would be honored, and that glory would be given to your name. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.